Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend. I'm Tom Busby in New York. This week, a special edition of the show after what's been an historic week in the financial markets marked by crisis in the global banking industry. The meltdown of Silicon Valley Bank spread across the sector, touching Signature Bank, First Republic, and then to Europe and Credit Suisse. It's a story that played out right here on Bloomberg in exclusive interviews that moved shares of Credit Suisse throughout the week. On this show, we usually look forward, but today we're looking back, covering the timeline of events that got us where we are right now. Full disclosure, we're taping this program on Friday, so it's decidedly a look back and not a view of what's to come. But stay tuned to our news updates every 30 minutes throughout the weekend for the latest developments. We start on Wednesday morning. The chair of Credit Suisse's largest shareholder, the Saudi National Bank, spoke to Bloomberg, saying he wasn't open to injecting further cash into the Swiss lender. The answer is absolutely not, for many reasons, outside the simplest reason, which is regulatory and statutory. We now own 9.8% um, of the bank. If we go above 10%, all kinds of new rules kick in. More on that interview later this hour. It caused Credit Suisse's share price to tumble to a new record low, sparking concern about the strength of global lenders after the swift collapse of three U.S. banks in the last week. Now on Thursday, the CEO of Credit Suisse told his staff to focus on facts as he pledged to rapidly move ahead with a plan to streamline operations. In a memo to staff, Ulrich Corner said the bank would continue to focus on the transformation of Credit Suisse from a position of strength. That memo came after the bank said it reached an agreement with the Swiss National Bank to borrow as much as $54 billion from a liquidity facility. Flashback to Monday, that same CEO was on Bloomberg telling off Francine Lacroix that the bank had seen inflows of client funds, which happened after markets, and U.S. banks were pummeled by the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. So SVB, as you know, is a very recent um, thing which happened. So far, it's pretty calm. Um, we even saw material good inflows yesterday still. Um, also, you know, I had a client meeting which was very positive on that one. So, so far it's calm, but I think it's early days to, to look at the but, uh, Calm, are you suggesting that you could also actually get inflows? So we as got inflows change. yesterday, which is a positive sign, I would say. Um, and, you know, for us, and, and that is maybe a little bit, if I may say so, from seeing in comparison to SVB, it's a very different situation, you know. We are GSIP, as you know, we are following mm -hmm. materially different and higher standards when it comes to capital funding, liquidity, and so on. And that's why we said, you know, we gave, I think in this situation yeah. is important, we gave LCR, liquidity uh, capital ratio of like 140-40. At the, mm -hmm. at the end of Q4, which is a strong ratio, which has improved as we went through this quarter to like 150 on average and spot being even higher on that yeah. one. So, but out, so outflows have not reversed, but they've actually lowered. When I, are they reversing? 
Look, they have significantly moderated, as I put it. We gave an update on February 9 in terms of where we are on deposits and net new assets and so on. We will give next update with the first quarter result. But it is also very clear, you know, if and we talked about that, what has happened in, in like fourth quarter, you know, um, we are fully focused on it, turn it around, but that takes longer than like just two months. It, it, but then you, do, you have this material weakness today. What happened there? there? There's concern that actually almost every day there's some kind of bad news and you have your share price at a record low. Like that can't be a comfortable position. No, but we, we published our annual report today. So you have seen the financial result. I think that's the key message. The financial result is unchanged for 2022 no. and previous years. We delayed the report, as you have seen, a couple of days to appropriately deal with, you know, questions the SEC had, and we did. Uh, And that is part of a longer ongoing dialogue. And we acknowledge that we have a material weakness in the financial financial reporting control, which we are addressing and remediating forcefully. How are you addressing that? So is that an auditor problem? You had PwC on the case. Is it their fault? No, it's absolutely not their fault. Uh, that is obviously, you know, that goes hand in hand as, as you work together with your auditor. But it's a collective finding and we are addressing it. We have remediation plan and we are addressing it. So you, you have a, an anchor investor that put $1.5 million in the bank. Now their share value has gone down by one third. Will they have to inject more? What kind of conversations are you having with them? No, look, nobody is pleased about the share price development, you know, but we manage what we can manage. And this is the execution of our plan. That's the right strategy. It's the right plan. We are executing at pace and even ahead of the plan. And I think our shareholders see that as well. That's an unpleasant situation in share price, but I can't manage share price. I can manage no. the execution that I do. So you don't think you're getting pressure from shareholders? You're not getting pressure from, you know, certain big shareholders to do more and actually to have all options on the table? No, as I said, they are obviously, they are obviously not pleased with to develop, and I'm not pleased with developing the first hand, obviously, but, you know, we are executing, and once we are executing step by step, we show the market, and this is exactly why we said it's a three years process, and, and we are executing, and that is, you know, the market will acknowledge that, and the share price will, will follow. Do you think all options should be on the table? What about breaking up the bank? If you look, and I understand your frustration with the share price and saying, look, you're just executing, but when you look at the share price, 97% below that 2007 high, like, how do you regain from that. No, but that you can, can't compare, as you know. But, you know, as, a, as I said, it's a right strategy. I'm fully, com- fully convinced of the strategy. We are executing at Paris. We have the right team. And, you know, that's why we said in October it needs radical change. You know, the bank needs to be changed. And we said it's a three-year transformation. And you can't come after two, two months and say, look, why is not everything done? But radical change could be splitting up the bank. Is it something that you're, you're evaluating? No, look, the new credit Suisse is focused on the core strengths of the bank. This is wealth management, the Swiss bank business, asset management, the, what we put the market, i.e. the trading and sales business. That makes okay. entirely sense. Entirely different risk profile. Will be very profitable and will reward shareholders. And I think the shareholders understand that. When will you be able to say, like, the worst is really behind us? But we said it's three years transformation. We said we are going to make a loss, unfortunately, this year, because, you know, and this is something which you need to understand. A lot of the restructuring costs, you know, yep. baked into the transformation are coming in 2023 before we see a lot of benefits. 
um, out of that transformation. And that is something which happens. That's why we said it takes three years. Three years is a long time, Ulrich. I mean, a lot of the share, but a lot of the shareholders will start asking questions. I mean, have you asked them for more money to make it faster? Three years, especially in this banking world, anything could happen. No, but you know, as I said, our LCR ratio is strong and very strong. Has 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 getting stronger as we speak. Our capital ratio is very strong at 14.1 percent as we gave it to Q4. So we have everything we need to go through the transformation miles. Are, are you expecting you know, the first quarter to be good enough to keep shareholders off your back? The first quarter is, is, as we said, and we put it very clearly, we will make a loss in the first quarter, but you will see progress in the first quarter numbers. No in, in, in terms of what outflows in certain in regions? In terms of business momentum? Where for specifically? Example, business momentum? In the market business, for example, which was, as, as we all discussed, for, the, for, for reasons, clearly understandable reasons, weak in the Q4, looks better. Wealth management, we are making progress. Certainly not yet there where we should be, but we are making progress. Are, are, are you comfortable with the banking system as a whole? I mean, we've, we've you know, lived through a pretty incredible couple of days. And if you look at the markets, they're all over the place. No, I think so. I mean, this is, this is somewhat an isolated problem if you want to. And as I said, you know, if you are GCPIT or if you look at large banks, I think we will manage through it. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Credit Suisse First Boston. So first of all, what's the timeline for the IPO? The timeline for seen is unchanged, as we discussed last time. So we have a very clear plan to put it into market, create a liquidity event, most likely an IPO. We are working against our internal plans forcefully, and I would expect such an event in like 2025, as I said earlier. Okay. Any news? I mean, today you had news about the you know 20% that would go to Credit Suisse First Boston Partners. What happens to the rest? The rest is owned by us and, and, and obviously also portioned by Michael, uh, as, as, we, yeah. as we announced it in like February. And the rest is owned by us. So this is, this is our, our part of the bank, remains our part of the bank. We are going into liquidity and again, most likely IPO. We will be probably majority shareholder, and then we make decision, you know, how our holding develops over the next following years. So you're still looking for an anchor investor? Yeah, for Credit Suisse First Boston, are, are you closer to finding one? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, we are close to, but uh, I'm not sure if it's anchor investor. We have a lot of interest uh, from no. third parties to be invested into that, which tells you something about the strategy, I would say. No. And we are evaluating that. M- Middle Eastern investors? Different kind of investors, different parts of the world. A couple of weeks? Would it, will it come before the first quarter? I will tell the market if we are there. What do you find most difficult about your job? Is, is to make it understandable, I would say, you know, that we are absolutely doing the right things, that we need some time to get through. And, and this is what all my colleagues and I try to do, you know, to regain the trust of the bank over the next couple of months. But is it more important to regain the trust of shareholders or, do, or clients? It is, look, clients is, I told you last time, clients is, I would say one of the best experience, even in this very difficult months last year. I mean, they are so supportive of us. They are listening to us. They are doing active things to support. They like to bank with Credit Suisse. It's a fantastic experience. But you know, the convincing of this is the right thing to do, we are executing at pace, and the head of plan is with all different stakeholders, all different ones. That's Credit Suisse CEO Ulrich Corner speaking with Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix on Monday. Now, as we all know, things got worse from there. Up next, we'll hear more from the chair of the Saudi National Bank and his concerns about the financial health of Credit Suisse. You're listening to a special edition of Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend, a look back at an historic week in the markets 
and crisis in the banking sector. This program was recorded on Friday. If you're looking for the latest developments on this story, make sure to stay tuned to our news updates twice an hour, all weekend long on Bloomberg Radio. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend. I'm Tom Busby. This week, a special edition of the show. It's been an historic week in financial markets marked by crisis in the banking industry. The meltdown of Silicon Valley Bank spread across the sector, touching Signature Bank, First Republic, and eventually Credit Suisse. It's a story that played out right here on Bloomberg in exclusive interviews that moved shares of Credit Suisse throughout the week. On this show, we usually look forward. But today we're looking back, covering the timeline of events that got us to where we are right now. Full disclosure, we're taping this program on Friday, so it's decidedly a look back, not a view of what's to come. But stay tuned to our news updates every 30 minutes throughout the weekend for the latest developments. On Wednesday, a top shareholder ruled out adding to its stake in Credit Suisse, deepening the crisis at the Swiss bank and leaving its leaders struggling to shore up confidence amid market chaos that spread from Europe to the U.S. The chairman of Saudi National Bank, which became Credit Suisse's biggest shareholder late last year, said that the bank would not boost its share in the lender past the current level of just under 10%. Amar El-Khudari spoke exclusively to Bloomberg's Yusuf Gamal El-Din. In terms of your expectations for the Fed, you've seen what happened with SVB and the uh, sort of the fallout from that. Do you think the Fed is done for the year, or do you think they're going to continue the hike rate? I... Uh because that's ultimately, bit, that's going to channel back into the Saudi economy as well. Absolutely. It's a little bit above my pay grade, but if my personal opinion is they're not done. The, um, the uh, inflation situation is proving to be more sticky than, than they had originally hoped for. And they're going to have to, um, you know, um, they might delay it a little bit so that they make sure the ecosystem does not create another um, uh, SVB. Um, but um, but uh, they will have to continue the, the journey to make sure to suppress inflation. We're coming off the back of a strong set of earnings that beat expectations from analysts. Uh, you kind of take that momentum into the remainder of the year. What are your expectations for credit growth? How are you going to manage the difficult rates environment globally? You know, um, it's, um, it's unfortunate that the globe has to move to some degree in unison when it comes to interest rates because it's, uh, money's fungible and uh, it is an open economy. Um, um, the U.S. has an inflation problem to deal with and these increases in interest rates uh, for sure causes a drag on your ability to grow faster. So um, this is a um, you know, high speed, high growth economy. Would we have grown faster had interest rates been 2% instead of 5%? The answer is of course. But I think even with the five or six percent 
interest rate environment that we now see or predict um, will still continue to grow. Uh, there are pockets where um, affordability becomes an issue. Um, we see a decline in, uh, in some of the uh, mortgage uh, business for obvious reasons. Uh, but in general, I think, uh, um, yeah, we could, we could have done probably one or 2% more growth yeah. in the economy. Thank, you know, because of higher interest rates, that drags you down. But we're still going to be seeing some great economic growth. I'm very excited about this year. I want to get to some of your big bets abroad, and let's start off with Credit Suisse, because that went the other direction, quite a bit negative uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, a lot of questions being asked. I'm wondering whether you would be open to assisting further if there was another call for additional liquidity from Credit Suisse. The answer is absolutely not for many reasons, outside the simplest reason, which is regulatory and statutory. We now own 9.8% um, of the bank. If we go above 10%, all kinds of new rules kick in, whether it be by our regulator or the European regulator or the Swiss regulator, and we're not inclined to get into a new regulatory regime. So I can cite five, six other reasons, but one reason which uh, is, you know, th there is a glass ceiling and uh, yeah. we do not intend to entertain going beyond it and we're, we're there now. I'm wondering whether any conversations have taken place about other turnaround options. Maybe some new radical ideas are needed to help revive confidence in Credit Suisse. What, are you, what is your thinking there? Uh, that's, uh, you're better off asking Credit Suisse. Uh, we're, you know, we don't have a board seat, we, we're an investor, um, and so we don't engage with them in, in, in discussions that, um, you know, that kind of cross fences us. Um, yeah. So the, the franchise Credit Suisse First Boston, that's also not an option, not, not something you would invest we're in? We're not looking at it. Right okay. now. Yeah, no, we're not looking at it. That's Saudi National Bank Chairman Amar El Qadari speaking exclusively to Bloomberg on Wednesday. Those remarks helping spark the biggest ever slump in Credit Suisse's stock on Wednesday, prompting the Swiss authorities to issue a show of support and a credit line of up to $54 billion. After becoming engulfed in the turbulence set off by Silicon Valley Bank's collapse, Credit Suisse's stock embarked on its initial plunge just as the European Central Bank's Governing Council convened for its two-day gathering, raising concerns about the health of the wider banking industry. Asked whether the latest uproar could bring a repeat of the last global financial crisis, ECB President Christine Lagarde said, I was around in 2008, so I have clear recollection of what uh, happened and what we had to do. We did reform the framework. We did uh, agree on Basel III. We did increase the capital ratio. We did increase uh, the financial coverage ratio as well. And I think that the banking sector is currently in a much, much stronger position than where it was back in 2008. Despite the market turmoil, the ECB went ahead with a planned half-point increase in interest rates, but offered few clues on what may follow amid market turmoil that roiled Credit Suisse. For more on the ECB's decision and the challenges it's facing, former ECB chief economist Peter Pret joined Bloomberg's Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. What's so difficult is that you have the liquidity issue, a solvency issue, and then the confidence issue. And in many ways, it feels like what's happening in the financial system, whether here in the U.S. or in Europe, is very much a confidence issue. How does the ECB deal with that? Well, that's, that's a little bit their job, huh? ECB, and, and also as, as a supervisor. I think what we have today is uh, big concerns about the, in the markets about you know who took positions you know in, in interest rate risk. So they look at the uh, portfolio of bonds you know in banks. How is it funding funded and all that? 
from what we know from, from, from European banks is that the risk of you know, interest rate positions is relatively small. And this was repeated by the Guindos, the vice president today. Uh, and I'm not so much concerned you know, about uh, interest rate risk in the banking book of the banks. You know, I also think you know, that most banks are hedged and the counterparties of the hedges are basically pension funds and insurance companies. So I think this risk is relatively under control. You never know, of course, but I think it's not the main issue. The main issue is a credit book. For the time being, the credit book looks good, but uh, banks get into trouble when the credit book, you know, start to deteriorate. And I think this is the risk we have to monitor in the future. It's not so much the interest rate risk, but it's really what happens in the credit book. And for that, the economy is absolutely key. For a central bank to provide liquidity when you have good collateral is not an issue. And basically, that's the signal that the, the Swiss central bank is, 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 is giving, basically saying, OK, I, I, I'm ready to provide a lot of collateral, of liquidity, because you have good collateral. Uh, so I think that's not the main issue for the time being. I know that the markets are concerned. Markets have still the trauma of 2008. But we, we live in a very different world today. I was in 2011 in the ECB when we had, you know, the, the sovereign debt crisis. And the information we got, you know, from uh, the banking system was absolutely scattered, you know, because supervision was still at the national level. Now we have concentrated okay. information. And so that's a very, big, uh, a very big difference, you know, compared to 2008. They know what's going on. That's former ECB chief economist Peter Pret coming up. From Europe to Washington, we hear from top lawmakers on congressional banking committees. You're listening to a special edition of Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend. It's a look back at the historic week in the markets and crisis in the banking sector. This program was recorded on Friday. If you're looking for the latest developments on this story, make sure to stay tuned to our news updates twice an hour, all weekend long on Bloomberg Radio. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend. I'm Tom Busby. This week, a special edition of the show. It's been an historic week in financial markets marked by crisis in the banking industry. The meltdown of Silicon Valley banks spread across the sector, touching Signature Bank, First Republic, and eventually Credit Suisse. It's a story that played out right here on Bloomberg in exclusive interviews that moved shares of Credit Suisse throughout the week. On this show, we usually look forward, but today we're looking back, covering the timeline of events that got us to where we are right now. Full disclosure, we're taping this program on Friday, so it's decidedly a look back, not a view of what's to come, but stay tuned to our news updates every 30 minutes throughout the weekend for the latest developments. 
On Monday, President Biden came out before the markets opened to try to calm a worried nation. All customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills and stay open for business. The president adding that he's going to ask Congress and regulators to strengthen the rules for banks. On Thursday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that her department is monitoring for a potential contraction in credit in the U.S. following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, which sparked the danger of contagion across the banking system. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. Speaking at a Senate Finance Committee hearing, Yellen told lawmakers that she had first heard of problems with SVB just one day before it was put into Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. receivership last Friday. Noting the bank's high reliance on uninsured deposits for funding, she said, We worked with the Federal Reserve and FDIC to protect all depositors of the two failed banks. On Monday morning, customers were able to access all of the money in their deposit accounts so they could make payroll and pay the bills. The hearing comes amid market worries over financial stability and the rapid-fire collapse of three regional U.S. banks and troubles at Credit Suisse. The Treasury backing a new Federal Reserve facility to offer troubled banks liquidity in return for high-quality assets, aiming to halt any further runs on deposits. As to what U.S. regulators can and can't do when it comes to banks, Bloomberg spoke with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle to get their take. First up, Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio. He's the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, and he spoke with Bloomberg's Joe Matthew and Anne-Marie Hordern on Tuesday. Brown wants regulators to conduct a comprehensive review of the failures, urging them to identify and act on any broader vulnerabilities in the banking system. Well, I think we look at everything, and uh, we're going to investigate through the Banking Housing Committee that I Chair, we're following what the regulators are doing with oversight to make sure they investigate. I don't think we know yet, but what we do know is every time uh, the Silicon Valley Bank and the bankers so often come to Congress to weaken rules, too often Congress goes along. And whatever we do here, we're going to strengthen oversight rules. We're going to make sure that that the banks can't, can't play with risk the way they do and always make working families in Ohio pay. And when, when I when I first, when, when the story broke, what had happened in California, mm-hmm. and I knew that the CEO in California had lobbied Congress and lobbied his friends and the regulators for weaker rules. First thing I thought about was what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, with the railroads. The railroads had lobbied Congress, had lobbied the Trump administration, had used their PR campaign to weaken safety rules and to hurt the communities. And who always pays, whether it's customers yeah. and banks, pay or whether it's um, customer or whether it's people in places like East Palestine. So I I think it's all about corporate power in the end. And um, as we look at deposit insurance and so many other things, we have to keep that in mind. I thought you were going to say that it it brought you back to 2018 when portions of Dodd-Frank were rolled back. I know you didn't love that idea then. And as the president asks to strengthen regulations now, Senator, I wonder what it is specifically that your committee can do to prevent another SVB. Well, it's, uh, I hope my committee can do it because we have so many people in this committee that are at the beck and call 
of, of the banking lobby, the financial services, and particularly Wall Street, and particularly uh, the most powerful banks. But I, I know what this committee did wrong a few years ago in passing this, and then President Trump made it worse by weakening the standards even further. But we clearly need stronger capital standards. We clearly need stronger liquidity standards. We clearly uh, need to do the strength and the stress tests. Uh, I am pushing the Federal Reserve to do that now. I'm going to push Congress to do that. I, I'm less hopeful that Congress will do that because I, I've seen the influence of the bank lobby in Wall Street. And in the end, again, Ohio workers always pay for this when they get their way. That's Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat from Ohio. For a view from the other side, on Thursday, Bloomberg's Joe Matthew and Anne-Marie Hordern spoke with Representative Patrick McHenry of North Carolina. He's the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. McHenry said people should hold off on assigning blame while Congress and watchdogs investigate the cause of the bank's failure. Everybody's preaching their book. Um, and so, uh, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to get to the bottom of what happened um, and why. Uh, and that's my obligation as a committee chair and to look into this matter mm -hmm. um, and understand. Um, what we know at this point is you have a couple of theories of the case. One, mismanagement. Obviously, the firm failed. Uh, two, uh, supervision, right? Whether or not those that were tasked with overseeing the bank in the regulatory sphere did the right thing. Third, regulation. Fourth, law. And then fifth is this macro question about the economy, the fiscal house that in, inflamed inflation, mm -hmm. and then the Fed response to it and the rapid rising rates. So you have five buckets of theories at this point, mm -hmm. and everyone has jumped to their natural conclusion to give the answer here. We have to first figure out why this happened and determine uh, it, in, a, in a, a really quantitative and qualitative way what happened. So you can't tell us now if the bill passed in 2018, in fact, was partly to blame, or maybe a better way to say is the original Dodd-Frank would not have prevented this from happening. Well, the original Dodd-Frank and then the update in S-2155, the bipartisan yes. bill that, that passed in 2018. Um, the, the theory is, uh, among some, uh, is that that changed it in such a substantial way, Dodd-Frank, that they could have seen it under the original law, but didn't see it because of the regulatory change. Mm -hmm. uh, the first studies of this and the indication from bank analysts is that that's not the case. The liquidity cover ratio, uh, this bank would have passed um, if it had been applied to them. Um, and, uh, and so the key provisions that changed would not have affected uh, the supervision mm -hmm. of this bank um, nor their performance in this moment of stress in this bank run. So, but that's the initial review of it. We want to understand that that's, in, in fact, true in the case. When you look at the supervision, does this fall into the purview of the Fed in Washington, or is this the supervisors in San Francisco? Who was potentially asleep at the wheel? We have to get to the bottom of that as well. Um, the way the Fed is organized, though, is through regional banks, and the regional banks have their regional bank uh, supervision and examination process. Uh, we want to understand what happened in the San Francisco field office and those that were in the bank. So we have to get to the bottom of that as well. Is this a Washington Fed problem? Is it San Francisco Fed problem? Is it a failure of uh, a regulator or not? And at this stage of the game, when you want to cast blame, it is natural. The first order of business in any business failure is to blame the management because obviously the business failed. The second is those that oversee the bank. Um, 
But when people jump to these conclusions at this stage of the game, a week in mm-hmm. on, on uh, this uh, really stressed moment mm-hmm. uh, for, for our banking system, I think it's, it's unhelpful and quite politically hackish mm-hmm. Uh, to jump to this political conclusion when we don't actually have the full set of facts yet. But should the Fed be investigating themselves? This is almost the third scandal under the Fed. There's the trading, there's the Kansas City, the Rare Masters account for the fintech firm, and now there's this. And the vice chair of supervision, Michael Barr, will be investigating his own Fed. Why not have an outside probe? Well, uh, Congress will look into this, as we should. Uh, we created the Federal Reserve. We created. Would you be in favor of that, like what Elizabeth Warren says, like an outside investigator? Um, everyone in Washington wants to look around for an unbiased source of information, right? Good luck. Everybody has a perspective. Uh, we will certainly investigate this on Capitol Hill, and my committee will look into this. That's Republican Congressman Patrick McHenry of North Carolina. You're listening to a special edition of Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend. It's a look back at the historic week in the markets and crisis in the banking sector. Up next, we look back by looking ahead and get a preview into what we can expect from the Fed meeting this week. This program was recorded on Friday. If you're looking for the latest developments on this story, make sure to stay tuned to our news updates twice an hour all weekend long on Bloomberg Radio. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend. I'm Tom Busby. This week, a special edition of the show. It's been a historic week in financial markets marked by crisis in the banking industry. The meltdown of Silicon Valley Bank spread across the sector, touching Signature Bank, First Republic, and eventually Credit Suisse. It's a story that played out right here on Bloomberg in exclusive interviews that moved shares of Credit Suisse throughout the week. We've been looking back on the week all hour, but now it's time to look forward. Full disclosure, we're taking this program on Friday. For the latest on the bank crisis, stay tuned to our news updates every 30 minutes throughout the weekend for the latest developments. Now, most economists surveyed by Bloomberg News narrowly expect the Federal Reserve to hike rates next week and nudge its peak interest rate up slightly in a continuing response to high inflation, despite concerns that a banking crisis could have broader economic impact. Speaking with Bloomberg's David Weston, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers said the Fed shouldn't be spooked into easing its campaign to contain inflation out of excessive concern about a credit crunch in the wake of the recent banking turmoil. I think we can use policy directed at standing behind uh, depositors separately from uh, monetary policy. And I think it's appropriate, uh, at least on current facts, and they're changing very quickly these days, but on current facts, uh, to uh, raise rates by uh, 25 uh, basis points. So that's where I would uh, be coming down. 
I do think that the Fed should not allow financial dominance, but does, of course, need to recognize that slower credit uh, is going to be the result of that. For what we can expect next week, we turn now to Bloomberg's Michael McKee, Bloomberg News International Economics and Policy Correspondent. Michael, thanks for being here. I wish I could give you an idea of what's going to happen next week, but on a day-to-day basis, I don't know what's happening by the end of the day. We do know that on the calendar, there's a Fed meeting on Wednesday, uh, and that uh, they have to make an interest rate decision. They'll also put out a new summary of their uh, economic forecasts, and we get the infamous dot plot update. So there is a lot of news coming. We just don't know what it's going to be. The general consensus on Wall Street after everything that has happened is if we get to Wednesday and the banking sector has stabilized a little bit, and we're not going hour by hour, will somebody survive or not, that the Fed will raise interest rates by 25 basis points. Jay Powell had suggested two weeks ago that we might see them do 50 if the data were strong. Data weren't all that strong. They were still good, but they weren't all that strong. And with what's happened in the banking system, probably a precautionary kind of move from the Fed. A a risk management move of only 25 basis points is the most likely thing. Now, let's go back to some of those data points that we saw, because some very encouraging, the jobs numbers, surprising to the upside. Also, housing and housing very closely tied to the banking industry. (laughs) Everybody's kind of wondering about that, and it is an unusual situation. it, it, obviously, housing very influenced by mortgage rates, which are influenced by the Fed's rates, and mortgage rates have gone way up, and we've seen housing sales drop a lot. What we haven't seen is a drop in new home construction. Some sales have fallen off, but we saw a big rise in new home construction, new home starts uh, this past month, and also building permits uh, were up 13.8%, suggesting there's confidence among builders. We know there's a shortfall of housing, and we also have seen interest rates for mortgages come down a little bit in uh, recent weeks because they're not just tied to the Fed funds rate, they're tied to what's happening in the markets. And we've seen, obviously, interest rates fall across the yield curve uh, over the past couple of weeks as people worry about what's going on in the world. And so uh, that is maybe incenting the builders to think that people might come back out and start buying again. Michael, thank you so much. Be sure to tune into Bloomberg on Wednesday at 1.30 Wall Street time for our simulcast special, The Fed Decides. And that's been a special edition of Bloomberg Daybreak Weekend, our look back at an historic week in the markets and crisis in the banking sector. I'm Tom Busby. This program was recorded on Friday. If you're looking for the latest developments on this story, make sure to stay tuned to our top stories and global headlines starting right now. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.